welcome to Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, the podcast. I'm your host, Inman Narwin, and I use they-them pronouns. Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness is a collectively-run publisher dedicated to producing and curating inclusive and intersectional culture informed by anarchistic ideals. This can include stories, fiction, poetry, memoir, nonfiction, theater pieces, comics, books, pop culture analysis, recipes, music, history, podcasts, and occasionally essays in theory. We are looking for content that doesn't know where it fits in, for people that don't know where they fit in. On this podcast, we have audio versions of our monthly featured zine, read by a brilliant voice actor, along with interviews with the author. If you would like to hold in your hands a hard copy of our monthly feature, please consider subscribing to our Patreon, where you will be mailed a lovely zine once a month, along with occasional other remedies. Our Patreon helps make things like this podcast possible, as well as supporting other podcasts we put out like Live Like the World is Dying. It also helps us pay authors of the monthly feature, transcribers, artists, editors, and translators. So if you like what you hear, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. If you would like to submit a piece that you think would cure our need for entertainment, please visit tangledwilderness.org for our submission guidelines. This month, we do not have an audio recording of the monthly feature Instead, we bring to you an in-depth interview with Celeste and Esmatilda of Liminal Spaces about their zine, Taraxicum Aficionale, Dandelion, Break the Binary. We talk a lot about plants, uses of dandelions, and Celeste's views on plants and forming relationships with them. If you would like to read the zine and aren't a Patreon subscriber, a digital version can be found for free on our website at tangledwilderness.org. I had so much fun talking to Celeste about plants. Also, this was my first real interview as the interviewer, so you can delight in me being very awkward. There's so much information in the zine that we unfortunately did not have time to to cover, so please check out the zine and Celeste's lovely accompanying artwork on our website. Celeste, uh, thanks for coming to the uh, Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness interview. It's very, very great to have you here. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your your background and what you do in the world? Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, my name is Celeste and is Matilda, and my pronouns are they, them. And yeah, I do kind of like writing and art printmaking and music and I farm also and everything I do is kind of like built around figuring out how to have an appropriate relationship with my ecosystem and the things in it which includes me and yeah that's what my art is usually about that's what my writing is usually about cool uh we're here mostly to talk about um uh, your your zine about dandelions and some of your views on how to form relationships with plants do you want to introduce that zine and tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So um, I've been doing this project for a few years where I'll focus on one plant a lot, 
um, in theory for a month, but it usually takes longer and like research it, but also spend a lot of time with it. Um, like visit it and drink the tea, eat the thing, like experience it in whatever ways feel appropriate. And then kind of gather all that information together. I think originally I was like, I'm going to write this down for myself so I don't forget. And then I was like, oh, I guess I should like make this into a format that I can share because probably other people also want to know this stuff. And yeah, so that's what this zine is. This is like the second, I've done four. I've done Echinacea, Dandelion, Stinging Nettle, and Wild Rose. And Dandelion, I think, is the one that people seem to like the most because I think it's like a really accessible plant. So that's what basically what that zine is, is everything that I figured out about dandelion while studying it and, and like learning to relate to it. Cool. Do you want to tell us a little bit about a little bit about dandelions? Like what's their what what, what are they good for? What Why should people consume them? Yeah. Um, so. I like that you asked both of those questions because they're like, they're both important questions. Um, I think a lot of herbal medicine, like when people first get into herbal medicine, they go for like the, the big shiny things, like really powerful stuff or like really exotic stuff or really trendy stuff. Um, and there's also this thing where like heroic medicine kind of spills over from tradition or from mainstream medicine into herbal medicine sometimes where people want like really powerful herbal medicine. And those are not ideal approaches to, to plant medicine. And so when you're asking like, what does dandelion do? And also like, why should people engage with it? One of the big reasons that I think that people should engage with dandelion is because it's very present everywhere it's an abundant plant um and it's like a really gentle medicine it's not like gonna magically get rid of whatever problem instantly which nothing really does but some some people want herbal medicine to do that but it's like it's like a nourishing like nu nutritious like system helping plant that like and i guess now i'm spilling over into like what will it do for you like it helps it helps your digestion work better and like it helps you get like minerals and, and nutrients and vitamins that you need. But it's not it's not like heroic medicine. And I think that that's good because I think that most of the time, like 95% of the time, we want medicine that's like gentle and more like food. And that's what dandelion does. But But yeah, like the really beautiful thing about dandelion is that it's everywhere and it's like kind of invasive. Like I Invasive is kind of a complicated word, um, but like definitely it's okay to harvest dandelion in most circumstances and you don't have to worry about like removing it completely from the face of the planet by accident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it seems like it would be very hard if anyone even tried to do something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. And I mean, like there's, there's little things about it. Like there's certain times when it is really important to other, other people like bees, for example, but like, um, but yeah, most of the time you can pretty much do what you want and like, you're not going to make any terrible mistakes in terms of how your actions impact the ecosystem when it comes to dandelion. Cool. And, uh, what are, or I guess like, what are the times to when you would want to be careful about like harvesting it in regards to pollinators 
Yeah, um, like shoulder season. So like kind of like the beginning of spring. Um, I'm not sure. I kind of want to say fall too because it does flower a little in fall and other plants like it flower a little in fall. And like those are the times when there's there's just like less other pollen around and other flowers around. So yeah, it's definitely an important food source for pollinators like very early in spring. Um so yeah, you know, like don't pick all of the flowers, <laughs> like leave, leave some. Um, but yeah, like once, once you get into summer, if there's a lot of other food sources around for pollinators, then it's less, less of an issue. Cool. You, you talk about, or you, you brought up um, kind of like this idea of like heroic medicine. What, what are, what are some of the kind of like the, the big plants that people you see people like going to a lot that especially that like dandelion could maybe like be an alternative for. Ooh. <laughs> um, this might be like outside of my, let me think for a second and see if I can think of something. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Cause dandelion doesn't really do heroic things in the first place. Like it, it, it helps like with your liver, you know? So like, and like, I guess like working with the liver is something that, people sometimes go to from a place of desperation a little bit. Like um, if somebody's recovering from like a substance use that's harmed their, their liver, then like they might finally get to a point where they're like, Oh, this is, this is like doing bad things to my body. And now I really want to fix this. And they might like want to fix it really hard and fast. Um, because it's, you know, it's uncomfortable to realize that your body's not working well. And sometimes that really negatively impacts you. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure what plants would heroically, heroically fix your, your liver. That's not like an area of knowledge that I have for sure. Um, but like thinking of, but you know, dandelion is a good, a good gentle medicine for things like that and building liver health and, and liver support. Um, and thinking of like other plants, like the example that kind of comes to mind might be like golden seal which um one is like really over harvested so like just don't don't use it <laughs> um but two it's also like pretty strong as a like i think that i kind of want to double check this i could be wrong but i think that it kind of is something that people use for like immune support and it it's kind of a last resort plant which like there's other things you can do when you need a last resort. Like that's kind of like, to me, medicine is kind of a pyramid and like you start with the gentlest medicine and like once you're hitting last resort status, then like that's when you might go to pharmaceutical medicine if you've tried herbal medicine and it's, and there's a serious problem and herbal medicine is not fixing it. So like rather than doing golden seal, that might be when you want antibiotics, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's one example is like one, that plant is, is like over harvested and endangered. And two, it's like kind of intense and like, and people, people, I think people like kind of don't believe that herbal medicine is real. And so they go to the, like the, the heavy hitters because they want to see proof. And I, I think it's a lot better to just go to things that are, are gentle and, and like improve your daily life instead of like trying to solve these problems that come from not improving your daily life after ignoring your daily life for a long time. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about some of some of the other kind of like uses or like effects for for dandelion that could help improve people's daily lives? Yeah, yeah. So there's a few things like um, 
dandelion is like something that shows up pretty early in spring and like spring spring tonics are kind of a thing where like in winter like especially if our diet is is kind of tied to local food then like and especially like further north like winter winter food is really like kind of heavier like you know rooties like potatoes and beets and carrots and cabbage and things like that and you know like meat obviously is something that's available in winter and so then if you're going into summer you kind of want to like get your digestive system sort of like woken up a little bit and and that's that's a great place for dandelion is to kind of like yeah like a whole plant in spring is like honestly when i can get into my garden in spring and usually there's like little dandelions growing in there i will just like clean them off and eat them <laughs> because like <laughs> the the root and the leaves are both kind of a nice like digestive stimulant like in spring and that's kind of something you need if you're switching from like winter food to summer food or winter food to spring food so so that's like a really a really nice thing for me and I also really like to just tincture the whole plant in spring so usually when I'm going through my garden and like weeding a little bit I'll just like throw all the dandelions in a bag and then kind of like clean them up and like just throw them in alcohol and like dandelion is also a really great like food, like food is medicine kind of food, which like ideally is most food, but sometimes it isn't. Um, but like it, it's great for salads. It's great for like it's you can cook the root also. Like you can you could like throw it in a stir fry. Um, that's kind of nice. But it's a great thing to just like get greens into your life. Yeah, yeah, and the the leaf also has kind of a digestive stimulating liver supporting and then nutritive like lots of um vitamin k i think and um copper which is pretty hard to get assimilatable copper from food so that's kind of a nice thing and i think there's some iron in there too which is also really important so yeah cool yeah yeah i remember seeing one part in your zine about like some of the like nutritional like information and I was blown away at like how many how much like available like uh like vitamins and nutrients were were in dandelions yeah and one of the beautiful things about getting your vitamins and nutrients from food if you can is like and this is another thing that happens with herbal medicine is people like to talk about like the the like active constituent or whatever like there's like one thing in there that's important and like let's just forget about the whole rest of the plant and like that's kind of what happens with with supplements sometimes too is like somebody's like oh i need iron and so they like buy like iron capsules which first of all could contain anything like there's just no regulation um but then second of all like like that isn't always bioavailable or like assimilatable and so like a lot of people will take an iron supplement and then um their pee smells like iron and and they're still iron deficient and like that's <laughs> that's the outcome um whereas quite often a plant that has the thing you need will also have the things that you need to absorb the thing you need it's mm. it's like kind of this magical and really simple thing and so you know, if you need iron, if you go to dandelion or stinging nettle, for example, then like your body can can take that really well, and like you can you can really access those nutrients a lot better than if you're 
isolating the active ingredient and making it into a supplement or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember a friend um, a long time ago was having like iron deficiency problems and eventually through interacting with, I I think it was Stinging Nettle, um, learned that uh, they didn't have an iron intake deficiency they had an iron absorption deficiency mm-hmm. um and i i think it was stinging nettle that kind of like helped helped them with with that yeah stinging nettle is a really great source of iron i um like in spring i kind of make these teas where i'll fill like one third of the jar with like dried stinging nettle and then the rest of the jar with hot water and then i'll steep it overnight so it's like super strong and like a super long steep like it's it's more like making food than medicine. And like, if I'm like in spring, like a little low energy or like a little like physically tired, that just like fixes it. It's it's really great. <laughs> How much, like, uh, what, what would like a serving of, of dandelion be if you wanted to have it like pretty prevalent in your, in your daily life in like the springtime? Or yeah, the summer. So, yeah. the The beautiful thing about about like eating medicine as food is it's really hard to like have too much of it. Like it depends on the plant, you know. Like there's certain things that are really more medicine than food, and like you wouldn't want to just like have a ton of it. But with something like dandelion, um, eat as much as you want. Really, you know, like if <laughs> if you're going through your garden and pulling a lot out, um, yeah, like make some stir fries. You know, like. Um, there's a couple recipes in the zine that I'm super fond of. Uh, dandelion leaves are like a little on the bitter side, but if you like cook it with something, then that like kind of helps. Um, yeah, and I like I don't think you're really gonna do it wrong. There there are some some like specific health situations where it would matter. Like if you're on blood thinners, then you don't want a lot of vitamin K. And um, dandelion has a lot of vitamin K because it's a it's like a dark green vegetable basically. Um, so in the same way that you like wouldn't want to eat a lot of broccoli or kale if you're on blood thinners, um, like dandelion leaves would be a bad idea also. Um, but for anybody who doesn't have like specific needs like that, then yeah, basically go to town. And <laughs> rather than like giving anybody specific advice, what I would really recommend is like learn learn to learn to like hear your body about that stuff and like also learn to like pay attention to the plant and how it's showing up for you you know like if it's showing up a lot and it's available and you're eating it and your body is like yes this is good then like work with that right if for some reason dandelion is like not in your life um then i don't know maybe you need to look for different plants or i don't, I don't know you know but if it's showing up quite a lot, which it does for almost everybody, and and if it's feeling good to have it as salads or throwing it in stir fries or whatever, then great. You know, um, I would say sit with your body and see how things are feeling and work from that. Yeah, yeah. There, um, you mentioned the some of the recipes that you include, and um, I definitely reading through some of them sounded really good like the uh sweet and soured pickled dandelion butts i like i like wit i like want a friend to mail me some dandelion butts so i can try this um because we definitely 
don't have them here in the desert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, it's like a little labor intensive because um, picking the buds takes a bit of time. Um, but sometimes sometimes there's like some magic in that too. When it takes a lot of work to make a particular food, then it like it kind of means something something extra because of that. But yeah, they're delicious. Like I like capers and like they're they're very exchangeable with capers, I would say. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think that sounded really good as well. And um the uh well well you don't include a recipe, but um uh battering and frying them, like the flowers. I was like, oh wow, that sounds really fun. Yeah. And tasty. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, most flowers that are edible go great into, like, salads and stir-fries and things like that, too. Like, yeah. And, um, you know, for, for anyone listening, there there is, like, an entire, like, list of, like, culinary ideas, like, in the zine, along with some, like, specific recipes mm-hmm. um, that all look very, very tasty. You were talking about, like, kind of, like, these specific situations in which you might want to avoid dandelion like if you're on blood thinners are there any other situations that in which you might want to like not consume a ton of it yeah so one main one that is kind of interesting is uh like dandelion dandelion (laughs) dandelion is like um like it it kind of impacts blood sugar and diabetes um And so it's one of those things where like, part of me is like, cool, I wonder if that's a way to potentially manage diabetes. But then the other side to it is that's something where you want really consistent results. Um, (laughs) And so like combining a lot of dandelion and I think specifically the root with like, you know, diabetic medications is probably not ideal because then... I think it would kind of like change the outcome of the medications. Um, And I don't know if anybody manages diabetes or partly manages diabetes with dandelion. I would be super curious to hear about that. But I think the short version of this story is if you are diabetic, then you might want to be really careful about dandelion and specifically the root, I think. So there's that. I think that's kind of the big one. There there are a lot of plants where people are like, don't use it if you're pregnant. And sometimes that's like very true. And sometimes that's like, like risk mitigation on the part of the person saying it. Um, mm. Sometimes like a lot of things that, a lot of things, it really depends on the person when it comes to like, whether you can use it if you're pregnant. And I think that there's kind of like blanket cautions about that. Um, yeah. So all that to say that, Maybe it's great if you're pregnant and maybe it's not. It'd be a thing to check into, you know. <laughs> what are, I guess, like, what are kind of some of the, like, like active qualities of dandelion? Like, what, like, kind of, like, systems do they, um, like, aid in the body? Yeah. So, um, like, the, the two that really popped to mind for me are, like, liver and digestion and just, like, general kind of um like secretion secretion of things (laughs) um so like that's why it helps digestion is because it's like bile secretion and then that i guess that kind of like spills over no pun intended into the fact (laughs) that it's also a diuretic so if you're 
working with like a urinary tract infection or like wanting to kind of just like get extra like water out of your system then dandelion is also helpful for that um oh yeah and one of the cool things about dandelion is most diuretics which is plants that make you pee um cause you to lose potassium but dandelion is also a really good source of potassium so if you're seeking a diuretic then dandelion is a really great option because it's one of the few ways to not have like a net loss of potassium in the process so that's cool and that would be specifically um like the plant slash food slash tea but not the tincture um because tinctures don't usually give you uh like minerals or like those kinds of nutrients. So yeah, if you're if you're using dandelion as a diuretic and you're wanting to replace your potassium at the same time, then that would be a time to use it as like a food or a tea. Okay, cool. That's that's super interesting. Yeah, like it's like interesting to think that some of the preparations or intakes of it like have kind of like different um like benefits or like subtractions. Um Yeah. Like are, are there is there any benefit to like uh like tincturing it besides like i guess like storage yeah so the the main the most obvious benefit to any tincture is like fresh plant versus dried plants sometimes has different effects <laughs> um so like uh with skullcap for example skullcap is like more sleepy making if it's dried and so if you want to be able to like take skull cap to calm down but not get sleepy then a fresh tinctured plant or the fresh plant itself is better um and so then if you're like wanting to take skull cap in winter and you live somewhere where it's cold in winter then like <laughs> you, you want a tincture and you want your tincture to be like made from fresh plant material not dried plant material so that's like the the easiest and biggest difference in my mind yeah, and just uh, shelf life also, like, tinctures are usually, tinctures are good for years and years, like, 10 years, mm -hmm. really. Um, and a dried plant, like, dried leaves, for example, will start to kind of, like, lose their punch after about a year. Okay. Okay, so, like, um, that that's really cool, then, that it can last for that long, because you, you, like, could you, like, you know, harvest a lot of dandelions when it's super prevalent? prevalent and then prevalent mm -hmm. um and then like dry it out and still have someone by like the time that there's dandelions popping off the next year yeah oh for sure yeah very much so and that's a nice way to kind of like have medicine throughout the year when it's not always you know available outside and i guess the other thing with tinctures um is like sometimes it's really nice to just be able to like open a bottle and squirt some stuff in your <laughs> mouth and like you took you took the thing and it's done. Um, sometimes it doesn't yeah. matter so much, but like um, again with like anti-anxiety stuff, which like th that isn't really like dandelions domain, but um, if you're stressed, uh, you maybe want to be able to take a tincture so that you don't have to like go through a whole process of, of like making tea. Um, it's just a little bit more accessible if you're like at low capacity, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so tinctures are kind of nice for that. Or if you're out somewhere, like I love being able to take uh, like raspberry leaf motherwort and skullcap if I'm bleeding and in pain and like out somewhere and like it's not convenient to make a tea because I'm <laughs> working at somebody's shop or something, you know. 
um, yeah. signatures are great for like that kind of accessibility too. Cool. I know a lot of like focus in plant world gets put on like tinctures and um, and teas and um, and I I guess in in some plant circles food. Uh, but are there any other like like preparations of like dandelion that you would recommend for any reason? Yeah, well, I mean, a big part of the work that I'm doing right now is like not just seeing plants as like a resource to be. <laughs> used i struggle a lot with my language because even when i talk about um like medicine like plants as medicine i use the word use a lot and mm-hmm. there isn't use or take which are both pretty like um extractive and like consumptive words to use um but i i'm still working out how else to to talk about it but i think it's really important to engage with plants not just on a consumptive or extractive level um so mm-hmm. like i think it can be really healing to just spend time with a plant and like think about what it does and and like how it specifically does it and like think about what you can learn from that you know like like dandelion does this thing it it does a a lot of really great things for its ecosystem like it Mm -hmm. it like breaks up the soil and it kind of like brings nutrients up from deep and then like makes them available closer to the surface of the soil and it does this cool thing where it kind of like makes a rain funnel and like when when it's raining water kind of like lands on the leaves and then moves inward like towards the plant so it's got this like water catchment system that (laughs) is kind of like smart and interesting yeah yeah i i love stuff like that and like i think that i get a lot of medicine out of just spending time with plants and like observing them and like respecting what they do and like not consuming them like I think that that's also really important and then maybe there's a little in-between space of um like one of the ways I really like to get it get to know a plant is to not go straight to like cooking with it or making a tea or like doing a specific Mm -hmm. thing just like eat a leaf or like eat eat the root and just like really taste it um and there's like some if if we want to get into the like scientific like rational end of that like it's it's a real thing because part of why we taste things is so that our body can figure out how to digest them and so this is why like eating slowly is important is that your your body has time to be like oh this is bitter so like let's make these enzymes that like break down this particular kind of food or or whatever and so I think that just eating a little bit of a plant that's safe to eat, don't, don't choose them randomly, but eating a little bit of dandelion and, and like really paying attention to like, how does this taste and like what's happening in my mouth and like what's happening in my body and like, you know, sit with it for like 15 minutes um, and like see how that sits. I think that there's a lot to learn from that. Um, both in terms of like learning to pay attention to your own body and also learning from the plant experientially. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that shows up in the fact that like there is no like universal truth about like the medicinal qualities of a plant. Like if you talk mm-hmm. to different cultures, different people will, there's a lot of overlap sometimes, but people will often have like different versions of what this plant does for humans medicinally. And that's not because anybody's wrong, it's because there's like, medicine is 
is built out of like culture to a certain degree and like different people learn different things and like where do they learn them um (laughs) part of that part of that learning comes from just like experiential learning with the plant so yeah I think that it's super valid to just like spend some time with that plant and like look at it and like taste it and like figure out what it is offering you and like that might be different from like what people write in books about it Mm -hmm. Uh, you talk a lot about in you're in the dandelion zine and then like a bit also in your other zine that I'm forgetting the name of. Um, was it the was it the medicine is the relationship is in the relationship? Yes, yes, okay. that one. Um, you t- you talk a lot about like uh, the idea of like these like false binaries between like um like food and medicine or like weeds and like medicinal plants um do you want to talk a little bit about some of that stuff yeah yeah um I mean I think that this is one of the things that I really found in in dandelions is that they're they're very like binary resistant um and I I really like that I feel like I mean, I guess like on a personal level, that's where the magic is for me is, is like in the non-binary. Um, but yeah, like there, I, I really feel that food and medicine most of the time should be the same thing. And like good, good medicine is food and good food is, is medicine. And sometimes you need things that are just one or the other. Like sometimes you're in a hurry and you need to feed yourself and like fast food is is the answer and like that's fine but most of the time most of the time it's good when food is medicine and also medicine that's too intense to be safely treated like food is usually like kind of last resorty you know in my mind yeah and I guess we like I mentioned invasives for like a second earlier and like you know, dandelion is, is a weed. Like that's, that's like very much how a lot of people think about it. And there's, I don't know, like invasives is a whole other thing because a lot of how things get defined as invasives has to do with, um, like capitalism. Like if, if a plant is invasive, that often means that it will interfere with industrial agriculture and, and that's why people don't like it. And so like, <laughs> it, and it's true. Like I, I've, I picked up a couple of books about weeds recently and I was like, cool weeds. I love weed medicine. It's great. But then I was reading it and, and it's like, what's the problem with this invasive plant? It like ruins this particular crop. It wasn't like it ruins this ecosystem or like it pushes out these other plants that are, are like native to this ecosystem. It was like, well, it's stopping us from growing canola. So we don't like it. And <laughs> meanwhile, last year, right in the middle of my garden, I found a canola plant. And I was like, <laughs> like people grow a lot of canola around where, where I farm and where I live. So I guess that's how it got there. But like okay. nobody would ever call canola invasive because it's like, you know, like, we make money from it. So it's not invasive, I guess. I don't know. So there's, there's some complexity there. And, and it's also interesting because like, not all non-native plants show up the same way. Like 
plantain, um, not the banana, but the little the little leafy plant, um, <laughs> is like one of my favorite plants because uh, some some plantains are native to North America, but some aren't. Um, and it is technically an invasive, but it doesn't dominate. Like it, it kind of just like fills up space that nobody else is using. So like, um, it. Some people call it uh, like the white man's footprint because, like, where ground gets disturbed, then plantain kind of like fills those spaces in. And so it's like if if people walk on a path a lot and like the grass gets worn down and there's like dirt and mud, which is like, that's erosion and not ideal. Plantain is something that will kind of show up and like fill that space and like shore it up. So there's like a cool metaphor there um, because plantain is a plant that's like not originally from North America in many cases, but it's figured out how to be here in a way that's not dominating and like being shitty to other plants <laughs> um and and i think that there's like maybe something i've been thinking about this a lot um in terms of like my identity as like a settler and like a white person in north america where like i think that invasive plants like like canada thistle for example which does really take over and is like kind of a bad plant to have show up um i think it's just like not from here and it like doesn't know what to do you know and and so it's like trying to show up really hard because it's like it hasn't processed processed its fear about being in a new space and so it just like takes over and I think that that's like very much the story of like settlers is like we showed up in this new place and we're like oh oh crap what do we do we better like try really hard to survive and like went way too far with that and and I think that like yeah I think that there's some healing and like some teaching there in terms of like figuring out how to be an appropriate sized part of your community and like not dominate everything and some weeds do that really well and some some weeds are definitely still figuring it out but dandelion to bring it back to dandelion like dandelion is a great uh like compost activator and like green mulch like if you pull a bunch of dandelions one thing you can do is throw them in a bucket with water and like agitate it and like get it to ferment for a few weeks and throw that in your garden because that will be like a really great source of like nutrients for your garden so so dandelion kind of like gathers nutrients up from like deep down and then like makes those nutrients available to its neighbors um so yeah like while it is called a weed and while it does kind of like show up quite a bit in lawns, for example, I think that it does a decent job of like being a good neighbor when it's in a, in an ecosystem and like contributing and like not taking over. So <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a lot there. Like when I think about when I see dandelion in the forest at my place, like I see it once in a while, you know, um, but it's not like it makes this, patch that's just only dandelion and it's not like it pushes other things out you know so yeah i feel like it, it's figuring out how to show up appropriately and like i am inspired by that because of my like history of arrival here yeah it's uh it's it's definitely fun to think of like what people consider to be like weeds 
versus like medicinal plants or even like um like plants that people enjoy seeing um yeah like here in the here in the desert most of the plants that i walk around and see like on a daily basis are like in the city are are weeds uh like a lot of like mallow um a lot of like california poppy and there there is this there's this culture here at least of um uh people being i think a little more accepting of of weeds um in their in their yards because it's hard for a lot of things to grow and i think a lot of people like don't put a a ton of time and energy into like growing things in their yard because it's pretty hard here um but then there all are all of these like like weed like kind of plants that show up and just kind of like uh not really like take over but like um provide some green thing <laughs> to be there which is like pretty fun to see yeah yeah and i get really curious about um like people think of nature as being static right and then they get really upset when it changes um i remember where i grew up there was a flood the creek flooded they they built the highway on the floodplain and then they got confused when the flood happened <laughs> and it's like well the trans canada is preventing this from happening properly so now your houses are wet um but this thing happened where a whole bunch of dock showed up afterwards and it it like hadn't been very present before the flood but i i guess the flood kind of like spread the seeds around or like created the right conditions and and people were like upset about that they're like oh there's this red weed everywhere and like it, this weed is taking over and like doc is is native it's not a weed but because <laughs> it was so prevalent they were like it's a weed but this thing happens where like when fire or flood or like some kind of disruption happens then you'll have um i want a better word for this because the word that i know is like a pioneer species and like i'm i'm not really big on like valorizing pioneers <laughs> in general but like yeah. um there's certain kinds of plants that grow really well in like disturbed spaces like that that are designed to 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 grow after a fire or a flood and they'll kind of like stabilize the soil and like create carbon and plant matter and like make good growing conditions for like th the successive waves of plants that come after that um and so like i kind of wonder um even with plants that really seem like they're taking up a lot of space i'm like like how long is that gonna be for and like is is it okay if that happens for a while and then something else happens um <laughs> like right now on my land i have a lot of wild licorice in certain areas which is technically uh native but but it's like it's being quite dominant in the space um and i'm really curious because i've been there for like two years now and i'm really curious whether that's just a thing or whether that's like a changing thing and like is something else gonna show up more like the year after the wild licorice or is the wild licorice just gonna keep increasing forever and like will some kind of balance happen? And I think it's, it feels important to me to like trust those processes and not like interfere all the time. You know, like part of me wants to go out and like gather up some of the seeds from the wild licorice so that it doesn't continue to spread. Um, but I, I'm not the boss and like, I'm not the expert and like, 
I I'm really trying to just like watch and see what happens and like think about how I can help but also like is my help really needed you know like even the idea of stewardship of land sometimes sometimes it's great you know um but sometimes people don't actually know what they're doing and they're just interfering with something that they should maybe just leave alone and it's really easy to go to that place of like um humans thinking that they're like the savior and like we're here to save the environment and like i don't know sometimes the environment is like doing really okay on its own um i i had this thing happen last summer like sometimes i will kind of like walk my land and just pull canada thistles because they're they do kind of like get really intense when they get into a space um and so I decided one morning that I was going to go out and like steward my land and like pull these thistles. And so I like got out my like two layers of gloves because they're really stabby. So that you need like leather. Um, and I went for this walk, but I kept, instead of finding thistles, I kept finding Saskatoon berries. And it was like, it was like my land was stewarding me. Like I was trying to like be the, the savior and the boss and like manage my land. And then my land was like, you need some fruit, like just <laughs> calm down and like eat these berries, stand here for a bit, appreciate the view, just chill, you know? And so I switched at some point to like referring to like my land as stewarding me because it's like, like the ecosystem is boss, you know, like the, the network of relationships is boss. And like, I am like a little piece of that. And I'm a recent arrival on a few levels, like historically and on that particular piece of land. So yeah, I, I'm really trying to like, just listen and not, not try to save everything all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our, um, I I know the topic of, like kind of like ethics gets like brought up a lot in in plant world um and i like i i know one thing that uh, i i lived in southern appalachia for a long time and uh something that people were very very into there in a lot of on a lot of levels was um was wild crafting mm-hmm. um and i know that's something you uh, end up talking about um a lot in in your writings it's okay uh do you want to tell us a little bit about your your views on on wild crafting yeah and maybe some kind of like like I, I feel like there's like a lot of myths about like like wild crafting that could get talked about yeah yeah for sure um i mean one of the big myths is that um that wild plants there's this okay so here's another binary actually is this idea that like wilderness is like better and more healing and that like also this idea that like wilderness is like not us and that like (laughs) it like humans go to visit nature which is silly because like humans are nature um but yeah there's this idea that like wild crafted medicine is like more magical and like more powerful and like it that is occasionally true sometimes under some circumstances and it depends on the plant like if you stress out a plant that has a lot of uh like volatile oils so like plants that have smells um 
then they'll make more oils sometimes. So sometimes if you like grow a plant like somewhere where it's not really getting enough water and it's having a hard time, then it'll be like kind of more potent. Um, but like the fact that something is wildcrafted doesn't guarantee that it's going to get those conditions. And as a general rule, plants that are grown by people who like really know how to grow those plants and give them optimal conditions um, are going to be better medicine. Like speaking strictly from a, from kind of a scientific perspective, um, and then there, I think there's also the issue of like, for something to be good medicine, it has to be harvested in a way that is respectful of that plant and like what that plant is doing with its life. You know, like if somebody asks me to help them and they do it in a way that pisses me off, they're not going to get good help. You know. <laughs> Um, so like there's kind of an element of that too. So yeah, there's definitely this myth that like wild, wildcrafted medicine is like way more potent and magical. And like, I think that that's untrue. And then in terms of ethics, like when I first started thinking about the ethics of wildcrafting, uh, I really wanted rules to follow. And I think I wanted rules to follow because it would make me feel like there was a safe guaranteed way for me to be a good person. And I think that being able to feel like we are good people is is like important to us, and we get kind of scared if if there can't be a guarantee about that. Um, but the more I've thought about this, and the more I've like engaged with plants, the more resistant I am to rules because I think if you if you if you make like three rules that you have to follow, then it's really easy to not be ethical and still follow the rules. Um, and like, maybe a good example is like, um, I used to, I used to harvest stinging nettle from like a park in town in, in where I live here. Cause there's a lot that grow in there and like the kinds of rules that people like for wildcrafting are like, you know, like don't harvest the biggest ones, don't harvest the babies, like don't harvest more than 30% insert percentage here of each plant, like, <laughs> or, you know, there's like numbers and stuff, but then like. I would be in that park harvesting nettle and like I'd meet this guy who's like also kind of like hanging around in the bush and like is he also harvesting nettle and like does that mean that I should harvest 15% because is he gonna also harvest like and, and as soon as there's other people there then like how do I know if I've harvested the correct percentage in combination with those other people in order to like you know not harm the plant and and then you can also get into like uh animals and other other people that might be engaging with that plant and so then what i what i learned is that there's no formula for being ethical with wild harvesting because it really depends on everything else that's going on with that plant and what that means is that you can't just like google the rules and go out and do it you have to like build a relationship with the plants that you want to harvest and like understand what their lives are like and how well are they doing there and like do they need to not be messed with at all or like is there enough abundance that they have extra and like who else is using that extra and like who am I taking away from if I'm if I'm harvesting that plant and like what other resources does that person have and when I say person I'm including like you know deer and bears and, and pollinators and, insects and things and and in north america there's this extra layer where like 
I really want to respect the other relationships that plants have, um, which would be with other plants and with other animals and people. But I extra want to respect the relationships that those plants have with indigenous folks, because that's like an old relationship. And like my relationship with a plant here is like a new relationship. Um, so I want to, I want to like really respect those pre-existing, like long-standing relationships that indigenous folks have. So like, it takes a lot of time to get to know a plant and to get to know all of those other relationships that that plant has. And you pretty much have to build relationships with like other people in your community who also relate to those plants. Unless you're in a place where like, you know, like when I'm on my land, I know everybody who's coming in and out. And so I know that if I don't overharvest something, it's not going to get overharvested by people. Um, but as soon as you're harvesting somewhere public, then it's really hard to know, you know? So yeah, I, for me, it's all about building that relationship and like really understanding all of the other things in that plant's life and then making assessments about like what is not going to interfere with anybody else's relationships and like benefit the whole community and not, and not just be like me extracting resources, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that brings to mind this um, uh, maybe appropriate example. Um, I lived in Southern Appalachia for a long time, and people got really into going to pick wild blueberries in the mountains, mm. um, and which is something that's like rather difficult and time consuming. Um, and at some point, I learned that. Uh, the like a lot of bears and birds in the area were like actually like really heavily relied on those blueberries that like thousands of tourists and like people like me were just like descending upon like every day of the season yeah uh, <laughs> and i kind of stopped wanting to go harvest uh wild blueberries after that <laughs> yeah that's the thing right and so then this is this is kind of the writing that I'm doing right now is about how to build relationships with plants. And it's kind of like a walkthrough of like thinking about how you relate to that plant and also how everybody else relates to that plant. And and so then time becomes a factor and like climate change becomes a factor, like because maybe there's going to be years where, you know, if you visit those blueberries every year for a few years, you're going to have years where they're, you're like, OK, there are like um a metric shit ton of blueberries and like I can I can take some of these and know that there's still going to be lots for everybody else because I know that this is like a lot of blueberries but then like if you don't have a relationship with that plant over time then like how do you know what abundance looks like and like you know how do you know who else is relying on the food and how do you know what else they eat and like is there a lot of other stuff that they eat to make up for it and yeah thinking about that and you know bears bears really love dandelions too they um oh like, cool. <laughs> yeah yeah i used to work at the the national park south of here which is complicated and interesting but getting to commute through a national park every day was beautiful and um yeah in may especially you just i would see like i don't know like a dozen bears a day including like babies <laughs> just like hanging out and playing like puppies because oh it was so cool yeah um 
they'd all be in the ditches because the dandelions are like a food source for them in spring, like same as the bees, same same time kind of. And so they'd be like just hanging out in the ditches, eating all the dandelions and very visible and convenient to look at as you're driving through. <laughs> yeah. Would you want to talk a little bit about, um, these are things we've kind of like touched on through the interview, but, um, kind of like, like, uh, like practices or like ways that you like interact with like plants or like harvesting or like things like that in relation to like, like being a like white settler, um, and kind of like, like interacting with a lot of like historically like indigenous knowledge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that question because it's really complicated. Um, I, I don't even feel like I've figured this out completely yet, but I feel like I'm on a good path with it. And my path is, I think it's really important to understand and respect and make space for indigenous knowledge and the relationships that indigenous folks have with plants. Um, so I think that like, I like to know a little bit about what plants are important to indigenous folks. And I like to learn a little bit about like how they engage with those plants. Um, but not in a way that makes that knowledge mine to use or to like, especially not to like make money off or like sell to other people or to teach to other people, but like to like I want to make sure that I know what's important to my neighbors so that I'm not like messing with things that are important to them um and also I want to know how to be good to them like I have a lot of like prairie sage growing on my land which is like in the artemisia family it's related to wormwood kind of and um I don't I don't sell it for sure because it's like kind of important to indigenous folks but I like harvest it a little bit when there's a lot um mostly to give to people like to give to like elders or like um there's like a women's center in winnipeg that like serves uh indigenous folks and they were looking for prairie sage so i like brought some to them so i think it's nice to know what relationships indigenous folks have with local plants so that i can like be good to the plants and be good to those people um and like not get in the way of their relationship and yeah and I think that respecting their wisdom and like learning learning things about what they know when they're willing to share it is important um but I think it's also really important for white folks to like build their own relationships um that are like unique um and like the metaphor I like to use is like a polyamory metaphor <laughs> where like <laughs> like if there's a person out in the world who I have a crush on and like for the sake of the metaphor this person is a plant um I I wouldn't just like study the other relationships that that person has and then interact with that person exactly how their other partner interacts with them like that would be really weird you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well like that is what I don't want to do with indigenous knowledge or indigenous wisdoms I don't want to just be like okay well I'm going to interact with prairie sage exactly how indigenous people do because that's weird like why would I do that 
like I want to respect yeah. how they do that and I want to make sure that I'm not um like detracting from their ability to do it or like you know like if it's really sacred to them then I kind of like mostly leave that plant for them um but yeah it's important for me to understand indigenous traditions and to like learn from indigenous wisdom in a way that isn't taking it and making it mine and like copycatting it and so I really try to like root my plant knowledge in like my own ancestral lineages and like you know like and focus on plants that like are available or were available to my ancestors like dandelion is a great example um or like yarrow is something that I'm pretty interested in right now that like my ancestors in like you know Slovenia for example probably had a relationship with that plant wild rose I also chose to focus on for that reason so yeah and you know wild rose is a great example because indigenous folks have a relationship with that plant too and I want to I don't want to like erase or supersede how they relate to that plant but I want to I want to find my way of relating to it that works alongside of that yeah I like how I like how you put all of that Golly, maybe this is maybe this is a funny a funny question um uh but i i think maybe because of some of like my experiences in in plant worlds that seemed like there was a lot of kind of weird stuff going on in um like like what are some of like what are some ways that you see like people interact with plants um that like feel like unethical or like cringy or like appropriative yeah i mean it's it's definitely subjective um yeah one example that i can give that is like one rule that i pretty consistently set for myself is like um i don't smudge like I I burn herbs and I burn herbs to like I don't know like help my my space feel good um but like you don't have to wrap herbs up into a smudge stick to burn them you can burn them in like a container um like a metal container or whatever a shell and you can you can do that without calling it smudging <laughs> and and I think that that's like a like a lot of a lot of white folks like to justify smudging by saying that like herb or burning like burning herbs as a cleansing practice is like universal and like it probably is pretty universal but like calling it smudging is like pretty specifically indigenous at least like where i'm at and so i think that's one where like you just need to get creative and also in terms of like what plants you use like you don't have to use uh sage you definitely don't have to use white sage i would advise against that um <laughs> You can burn a lot of plants. Um, I'm really fond of burning lavender. Right now I'm burning lavender leaves and um, black poplar buds that didn't blossom, that didn't unfold into leaves. Like if they just dry up on the tree, you can pull them off and burn them and they smell amazing. <laughs> um, you can you can burn so many herbs and get so many like therapeutic experiences out of that. And it can be a ritual. And you don't have to call it smudging. You you can <laughs> you can call it something else and still have it be like a really meaningful, nice experience. And it doesn't have to be white sage. It can be all kinds of other things. So that would be like one example where like I'm just like, why do you have to do that? Like, why not just do the other thing? You know? Um, yeah. 
but it but then again like for a while i did have uh white sage uh smudge sticks in my house because like uh, I had a guest for a, quite a while who was indigenous and had them and like left some for me. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to use these. But like that context made it make sense to me. And yeah, but normally, normally I like, normally I'm all about the like burning the loose herbs and calling it something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that probably brings us to about a time that we should kind of wrap things up. Are there anything, are there any other things you'd like to, to talk about or like tell like listeners about, um, uh, plants, dandelions, um, any, any of the things we've talked about or yeah. Hmm. Well, I think mainly just like, I think that going into, engaging with plants without expectations is really nice you know like going into the world around you and seeing what's there and seeing how you can engage with with whoever's around in a way that's like respectful and reciprocal I think that's like a really nice approach and I think it works a lot better than like reading books about it and then like going out trying to find some specific plant because you read about it in a book um so that's kind of a nice thing um, I had a nice experience with that last year where there's a lot of, uh, sow thistle in my garden, which is like, uh, Sanchez is the, the botanical name. Um, and it's, it looks a lot like dandelion. It like, it, it's hard to tell them apart sometimes, but, uh, sow thistle has branching flower stems and it's very edible. And so for a while I was like annoyed by it. And also like looking for other medicines and other foods. And then eventually I was like, oh, I should obviously just eat this food slash medicine that's like covering my garden. Like, <laughs> I really think that like just seeing what shows up in your life and learning how to engage with that is like a great starting place for for learning to build relationships with plants. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about about plants and relationships um where else can people where where can people find um your work in the world yeah um so i'm on instagram um my most of the work that i do is under uh the name liminal spaces which is like subliminal but without the sub um and so that's my instagram handle and i'm also on patreon um Right now, the work I'm doing on Patreon is more around uh, creative process and like the, the magic and creative process. And I have like a Etsy shop. So if like you're looking for zines, you can get physical copies or digital copies on Etsy. And that's also if you Google liminal spaces on Etsy, you would find me there. Um, that's the main, the main ones. Yeah. <laughs> great. Great. Well, thanks again. And, um, uh, take, take care and enjoy spring. <laughs> that was Celeste Inez Matilda on dandelions and forming relationships with plants. If you enjoyed the zine on dandelions, 
Celeste has an entire series of similar style zines for plants, including Wild Rose, Stinging Nettle, and Echinacea. You can find them all on Celeste's Etsy shop, liminalspacesshop.etsy.com. You can also find Celeste on Instagram at liminal.spaces.shop, or their Patreon page, patreon.com slash liminalspaces. If you want a hard copy of the dandelion zine, you can also find it in their shop, and if you do visit those places, you will get to see that Celeste is a wonderful printmaker and makes really cool patches. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go tell someone about it. Whisper its name in their ear, put it on on a road trip, write a review, and plant it in the ground. Bind its name to a dandelion puff before blowing its seeds to the wind, wondering what strange fruit it may bear. If you would like to support us, as well as the authors, translators, editors, and artists that we work with, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. Subscribers receive, at different levels, access to digital copies of our archived zines and features, digital copies of new work, Patreon-only content, discounts of printed work, and monthly printed copies of our featured zine mailed to you along with whatever else we feel like that month. You can find us at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness, or check out our website for more free content, including blog posts, zines, books, games, comics, how-to guides, and other work that we have to distribute. We can be found at tangledwilderness.org, or check us out on Twitter at tangledwild. And as always, if you don't want to, or can't contribute financially, please rate and review us, and tell a friend. We like having friends. You do incredible things that we are endlessly marveled by. We would especially like to thank these friends. Mickey, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Micaiah, Starro, Jennifer, Eleanor, Natalie, Kirk, Hugh, Nora, Sam, Chris, and Haas the Dog for making this podcast and so many other projects possible. If you feel like a stranger that would like to find their story a home in this tangled wilderness, Consider submitting it. The pages are hungry. Next month, we bring to you Exclusion, a short story by Bella Hangnail, an exploration of trauma and nuclear fallout. Stay well. We hope you come back.